Hey everyone, it's Brian with Church in the Loop. So glad you're with me today, and I'm excited for us to be in John chapter 2. It's a neat passage, and we're going to have some fun looking at it together and see what the Lord would have for us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this opportunity to come before you as your people, your sheep, and you are our shepherd. And I pray now that you would shepherd us through your word to bring us closer to you and teach us, Lord. Help us to follow you with a renewed sense of joy and confidence and love and passion. And so I pray for that in Jesus' name, and thank you for that. Amen. Well, most people are, well, I don't say most people, but many people are getting their vaccines today, which is awesome. And I hope if you're listening and you're still waiting to get yours, I hope you can get it soon. Uh, it seems like, I think in a couple more weeks, it's it's really going to be more available for pretty much anybody that wants it, as opposed to certain categories of workers, that kind of thing. So I'm excited for that, um, and I'm excited for us all to be getting on the other side of this pandemic and, and getting back to a sense of normalcy. One of the things that I miss most um, from the pre-pandemic days is going to the gym. Um, I love going to the gym because they have these weight machines that I like to use. And every weight machine, they have like a circuit. And you do one, and then you go the next one, and the next one. And there's about 10 machines that I typically work through. And it gives me that full body workout feeling. It, it really is nice because it's like you spend, you know, five to 10 minutes on one machine, then you go to the next and the next. And after about an hour of just going through all these different ones, you really feel like, wow, I, I really worked out all these different muscles because it targeted different muscles. Well, this passage that I want us to look at today um, really helps target some spiritual muscles in our lives that need to be targeted. The, these It poses four questions for us today um, that when we try to answer these questions, I think it's good for us because these are questions that we should jot down and these are things that we should... Um, be mindful of and and really on a regular basis try to ask ourselves these questions. So today, um, as we look at John chapter 2, and we're starting in verse 13, we're seeing this story where Jesus goes into Jerusalem and he causes a disruption in the temple area because he's very upset at all the um, the, it's turned into like a marketplace. It's turned into like a store instead of being a place of prayer where everyone is welcome. Now it's it's becoming more exclusive and it's um, becoming more money-based and that totally breaks his heart. And so we're going to read this passage and then I want us to see four anchoring questions for our lives that really keep us um, keep us on course and, and really like those those weights at the gym, those machines that I talked about, I want to encourage you to ask yourself these questions because these will target certain spiritual um, muscles in your lives that I think are good. Um, At least for me, it's been good. I hope it's good for you too. So so let's look at this together. So in John chapter 2, we see Jesus going to a wedding. He turns water into wine because they had run out of wine and he does his first miracle there. And it's really exciting to see um, him do that. And I love that story because it's a reminder of how Jesus can turn the water to wine in your life. He can take what's normal and make it just extraordinary. 
He can take the ordinary and make it extraordinary. And that's what he does. He, he takes our lives, and, and sometimes we feel like we don't have much to give. And he can do amazing things through us and to make this world a better place to touch other people's lives. And so Jesus is a master at turning water into wine, and he can do that in your life too. Then right after that passage, we come to where we're looking at today, starting in verse 13. And it's the time of one of the biggest festivals, religious festivals in Jerusalem and for the Jewish people, the Passover, which celebrated their um, escape their, uh, out of Egypt over hundreds of years before. And it's basically saying, hey, um, this is a reminder feast for us of, of how God uh, rescued his people and he will continue to rescue his people. So Jesus goes to Jerusalem along with thousands of other spiritual pilgrims. And so it's, it's a hustling, bustling place. It's, it's filled with all sorts of people from all over the world. Um, and it's full of excitement and energy and, and um, festival festivities. And, and just it's, it's a real exciting time for the people because everybody's coming together around this one um, occasion of Passover, which is a reminder of who God is and how he's faithful to his people to deliver them. So Jesus comes to that and he has something to say. And so let's look at this passage together. Starting in verse 13, it says, The Passover of the Jews was near and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Now let's just pause there for a second. <clears throat> so in the temple of Jerusalem, you had sacrifices of animals, of, of birds, of cattle, of, of sheep. And it was basically a sacrificial system. And depending on how much money you had, you know, maybe you could only afford a, a bird. You couldn't afford a lamb or, or whatnot. So basically it was set up, though, where you had to buy temple-worthy animals to be sacrificed for your sins or the dedication of your family, or your harvest, or whatever it was. But it was a sacrificial-based system of religious devotion to God. And the, the problem that created, though, was because humanity tends to be, we have greed in our hearts, and we see, oh, this is an opportunity to make money. The people back then said, hey, you know what? Uh, the ones that were in charge of the temple, let's make a rule that says you can't sacrifice just any temple, any uh, animal in the temple, you have to sacrifice a temple-worthy one. And we'll sell the temple-worthy ones only here at the temple. So if you're coming to Jerusalem and you want to offer sacrifice, you can't bring your own animals. You have to buy one from us that we have already certified as, as good and temple-worthy. And then you can sacrifice that one. And it had become kind of a scam, too, because a lot of the animals for sale were the weak ones, the one they, they, it wasn't like people the, were giving their best to God. It was it had turned into really a scam of a system. But the people coming, the pilgrims had no the spiritual pilgrims had no choice. This is what they had to do. And then, if you wanted to give money at the temple, you couldn't just put in your Roman coins or your coins from wherever whatever foreign country you were coming from. You had to exchange your coins for temple-worthy coins. And so there was a special 
coin that the temple had that you had to use their money. Well, you can imagine how in using their money, you were kind of ripped off in the exchange. And so it really had become this money-making scam type of system. And it prevented a lot of people from connecting with God in this in the temple as a place of meeting with the Lord, of being in His presence, of praying. And it it became like, well, if you can't afford it, you can't go. Um, and it kind of almost had this country club atmosphere to it where, oh, if you could afford it, you were one of the special ones. And so it just, it was very divisive and it took advantage of the people. And so Jesus comes and he has something to say about that. So back in our story, verse 15, making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. Uh, in the Greek, the word for marketplace is actually the word emporium. And so it's where we get the word emporium from. Um, he's, say, he's like saying, stop making this like Walmart, you know, like like some big shopping mall, um, a, big, a big store, big box store, whatever. This is not how things are supposed to be. It's not supposed to have this emporium marketplace type feel. No. This is supposed to be a place where rich and poor alike are equal before the presence of God. And you've made it where only those who are rich can really be in the presence of God. And you've made this, you, you've established this false boundaries and these, these false classes. This is not pleasing to God. And, his, and it says in verse 17, His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, What sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, This temple has been under construction for forty-six years, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. All right, so let's pause here and look at these four questions, because I really believe these are powerful uh, spiritual exercises for us. Questions are very effective because they make you think and they make you pause, and I hope these four questions will do that for you guys as well as they do it for me. The first one is this. Jesus goes to the temple, right, and he sees all of this, this clutter that's not supposed to be there. So the first question for each of us is this. What clutter in your life needs to be cleaned up and needs to go. Where's the clutter in your life and what is it? Um, I think that's something we're all, uh, we all struggle with. Um, I know for me, during the week, I'm so busy with, you know, my routine. I get up, I have certain things I do in the morning, and then I go to work, I come home, I have certain things for the, uh, for the evening, then it's bedtime, and the next day you do it all over again. And I don't do a very good job of like um, keeping my laundry, you know, sometimes I just leave it on the floor or I get something in the mail, I look at it, but I just put it on the dresser. And next thing you know, by the end of the week, I've got laundry on top of the dresser, I've got mail on top of the dresser, I've got books, I've got clutter, magazines, whatever. It's just, it's all cluttered. And I know that when I take the time to clean all that up, to clean my room, you know, that kind of thing, you feel better. It's just like, ah, 
So in, I think that's a good reminder to us. We need to eliminate, clean and eliminate some of the clutter in our lives. Um, Jesus goes to the temple and it's filled with this clutter. And it's literally clogging people from being devoted to God, to even experiencing God, because all they experience is this marketplace of, of all around them instead of the presence of the Lord. And that's what clutter does. It distracts us. And so, and I'm not just talking about like physical clutter. I mean, it can, but I'm, I'm really talking about the spiritual clutter in your life. Maybe it's social. Maybe, maybe sometimes uh, we spend too much time on social media and we need to just take a step back. Um, maybe it's we're spending too much time doing something else when you take a step back. Whatever it is, there's clutter in our lives, and it's easy for that to happen. Um, I know it's easy for me, and I think I'm a pretty average guy with that kind of stuff. So if it's easy for me, it's probably easy for you too. So <laughs> I just want to encourage you what clutter in your life needs to go. Now, one of the things that when, when I came into this new year, I felt like one word the Lord gave me. He gave me a couple, but I feel like contemplation is something I keep coming back to. And I'm learning that. I feel like as a Christian, I've never really learned that very well. It's not something that's taught. Most of our churches don't teach how to practice spiritual contemplation. We teach how to study the Bible. We teach how to pray. We teach how to share your faith. We teach how to sing songs and worship. But I don't really remember a class growing up or any real time where it was like, okay, we're going to focus on learning how to be still in the presence of the Lord, contemplation. And so I think with this first question about clutter, you really can't answer it on the go. You really need to stop and pause to see the clutter. And it takes contemplation. It takes those moments of stillness before the Lord to say, all right, what in my life is cluttering you out? And you won't see it on the go. You won't see it when you're driving to work. You won't see it when you're riding the train. You won't. It, these are things that you really have to kind of just, they come through contemplation and you have to be still. So I just want to encourage you guys, create that time for stillness. So that Jesus can show you in love. He'll show you, hey, here's some things that are cluttering you up. Okay, Number two. What disconnects are between you and Jesus? In this story, there's several different disconnects. When Jesus talks about, hey, destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it again. The leadership, the Jewish leadership was like, what? Are you crazy? We've been working on this temple for 46 years. Now, it would take another 30 years for it to be completed. So this was like this ongoing project. There was scaffolding always there for the literally the next 30 years after this. There was still scaffolding there. So for, the, for Jesus to say that, he was, but he was talking about when you guys kill me on the cross, guess what? I'm going to rise again from the dead. Of course, hindsight's 2020, so at the time, no one could see it. There was this disconnect. Even the disciples didn't quite understand what he was saying. But later, they did. It's like the dots got connected. So the questions, so there's this disconnect between him and the Jewish people, the Jewish leadership, and then also him and his disciples. And I think that's a good indication that there's probably some disconnects in your life and mine with Jesus right now. There are. Uh, and the reason I say that is because we're not perfect. Uh, in heaven, we will be. But here, 
it's like Paul said, we see through a glass darkly. And what that means is there's still going to be disconnects. There's still going to be things we don't get. And I think the only way that we can find those is to pray for them. Lord, show me the disconnects in my life where I'm, maybe I'm on, I'm moving in the right direction, but I'm still, the connection with you on this is not as good as it should be. Help me. Show me those disconnects. I know that it's a scary prayer to pray because you're scared of how Jesus, what's he going to show you? But he's going to show it to you in love. He's not going to show it to you with condemnation. You're not condemned. You're his child. You're, you belong to Jesus. Like you are a child of God. And so he's not coming at you in condemnation. He's coming at you with, I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> so that's, that's where he's coming to you from. So what disconnects are there? And let's, let's ask the Lord to help us. When you read the story of Jesus through Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, you see these disconnects that the disciples have with Jesus. And you see him gently correcting them on those, but never walking away from them, ever. So he will not walk away from you. He would gently show you, because he loves you, what disconnects are there. So the first thing is, what clutter is there? Second thing, what disconnects are there? The third question is, notice in this passage, and you really especially see it in verse 22 when it says, after he was raised from the dead, from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. And then they believed. So, in other words, what that's saying is, the question is, what lessons are still waiting to be learned from your past? Jesus had this episode. The disciples experienced it with him. But it really wasn't until years later, after he had been raised, that they reflected on this and said, Oh, that's what he meant. That's what he was talking about. And it clicked. But it took years later to click. So here's what that means for you and I. There are lessons from our past still yet to be learned. I believe that every one of us has lessons from our past that the Lord still wants to teach you for today. But when your focus is on the future, when your focus is on I'm making a better future for myself, I'm chasing my dreams, I'm chasing my goals, I'm all about moving forward and I'm all about doing what I want to do, and those, those can be good things, but we also need a balance of saying, okay, Lord, let's look at Let's look at the rearview mirror of my life. Are there What lessons are there still there for me to learn from? Now that I'm older and wiser and I look back on those experiences, on those chapters, what do I learn now that I couldn't learn at the time? You know, it was really hard for the disciples to get this at that time. The idea of a, of a Messiah who would be crucified and risen from the dead was very, that was like a foreign idea. It really wasn't, something forefront in their minds at all. The idea of a Messiah was forefront. The idea of some leader who would come and restore Israel to its glory days, yeah. But the idea of one who suffers on a cross for our sins and dies, no. So that's where it wasn't until later that they, they really had a sense of understanding. And then these experiences they looked back on had a richer meaning. So Ask the Lord to help show you. Ask Him to show you what, ask Him to help you see what from your past experiences, your past chapters, are there lessons still yet to be learned that you haven't learned yet? 
And what are they? I bet there are. Sometimes I wonder, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I get like a random memory from my past. It's like I'll be jogging or driving and I just get like this weird random memory. Like, why did I just think of that? And it's just totally random and totally weird. And it may be something from when I was like five years old or 15 or whatever. And sometimes I, in light of this passage, I wonder if the Lord is nudging me to say, Brian, yes, I'm bringing that to your mind because remember, this is what I was trying to tell you at that time. Now do you see it? But because I just dismiss it as, oh, that was in the past. That's not for today, whatever. That's just, it's like I miss that. So I just want to encourage you guys, be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit because it could be that those little random weird memories that we all get every now and then, those could be moments the Lord is trying to nudge you and teach you about something. Okay? And then there's finally one more question here, one more exercise machine for us to get on. And it comes in the next two verses, in verse 23 and 24, and actually 25. It says, When he was in Jerusalem during the Passover festival, many believed in his name because they saw the signs that he was doing. But, <laughs> but Jesus on his part would not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to testify about anyone, for he himself knew what was in everyone. In other words, all these people are starting to believe in Jesus, the hype, they're excited. And he's like, yeah, but I know why they're, they're getting hyped up because they're thinking I'm going to overthrow the Romans and restore the glory days of Israel. They don't understand things the way they're supposed to be understood yet. So he had wisdom and he knew how to practice that and, and to not give in to that hype. The question that we need to ask ourselves is, who do you need to be more wise with? There are people in your life that you need to practice more wisdom with. They are. Maybe it's coworkers, more, maybe it's friends, maybe it's social media friends, whatever it is. But we need, there, I guarantee you, there are people in your life that you need to tighten up with wisdom, that relationship. It doesn't mean that you exclude them. It doesn't mean that you... Um, walk away from them. Maybe it does, but I think I think it mostly means just practice wisdom. Practice a greater sense of wisdom with those people. Maybe give them more space. Maybe take more space. Maybe um, be more cautious. Maybe be more um, less open. I, I don't know, but the point is, is practice wisdom with those people. And I see that in Jesus's ministry here because he knew these people were getting hyped about him. He knew that they could have carried him on their shoulders in a big parade. But he didn't allow it to happen because he knew it would be for the wrong reasons. So, what wisdom do you need to have with what people around your life? All right, so let's review these four questions. These are, again, these are like those spiritual exercises that we can do in the gym. Number one, what clutter in your life needs to go? And it, and it takes contemplation to identify that clutter. Number two, what disconnects are between you and Jesus? We all have them. Even the disciples had them. So this isn't any kind of condemnation. It's how can we tighten up those disconnects? What, what are things that we can see better and more clear, clearer on or clearly on? Number three, what lessons are still waiting to be learned from your past? Ask the Lord for help. 
ask him to help you learn those lessons. Because one of the greatest ways we can redeem our past and repurpose it and to, is to learn from it. And God has lessons for us. And so what lessons are there? He wants to teach you. He wants you to walk in wisdom. I think one of the reasons the Lord gives us a memory at all is to remember his goodness to us in the good times and in the times that were bad, the times that maybe we even walked away. He was still good to us. And what lessons we can learn from those times. So put your memory to work for the kingdom, for you, by learning from your past. And then number four, who do you need to be more wise with? Who do you need to practice a greater sense of wisdom with? It doesn't mean you love them less. It doesn't mean that you um, aren't kind and compassionate towards them. It does mean, though, that you practice a greater sense of wisdom towards that person in that situation. Okay. Now, as we take a step back and summarize this, there's one more thing that I really want to touch on here. The central character in this story is Jesus Christ. The central purpose of this story is for you to experience Jesus for you. Jesus came and died so that he could bring you, and he rose from the dead, so he could bring you the temple wherever you are. The temple signified that place where you could go and connect with God and worship God. That place where you could be forgiven for your sins. That place where you could have hope for your future. That place where you could have a sense of purpose for your life. Jesus wants to bring you all of that. He wants to bring you forgiveness. He wants to bring you hope. He wants to bring you and give you purpose. Jesus is literally bringing the temple to you. Will you receive it? Will you say, yes, I need this temple and I enter it holding the hand of Jesus right now? My friend, you can. That's the whole purpose of this story is, will you enter into the temple of the presence of God through Jesus Christ? Will you take his hand now and enter into the temple? He's bringing it to you. Will you enter it? I want to close with the story. Um, so recently, I the other day, I don't know what happened, but I, I have this like face cream I was washing my face with, and it's supposed to be like a, a cleanser for men, okay? Which is kind of like gritty, and it's got like, I don't know, like dirt in it and sand. I don't know, but it's kind of like this this cleanser, this face cleanser. And I thought, okay, I need to start taking care of my face. So I was like, okay, so I was using it. And I've used it a lot, never had any trouble. But I guess some got in my right eye. And man, I, I just felt like my eye was burning. And even, it's been a couple of days now, my eye still hurts. It's getting better. Every day it's, it's getting better. So I, I think I'm, I'm going to be okay. <laughs> Thank the Lord. Um, but I guess I just like, maybe I scratched my eye or somehow it got in my eye and scratched it or somehow it, it burned it. I, I don't know, but it's the weirdest thing. It's really made me thankful for my vision. Like something that, you know, you really kind of take for granted until all of a sudden your eye hurts and it's hard. It just hurts. And you're like, man. And it was funny because not funny, but this happened on Friday Friday was a great day, but this thing with my eye kind of like ruined the day, <laughs> but the rest of the day was great, and that's how important your vision is. That's how important it is to be able to see, 
And so, because it can, if your vision's affected, it doesn't matter how everything else is going in your life. It just doesn't feel right. It just, it just hurts. And, and it's hard to enjoy. The best vision you can have is with eyes that see Jesus and that eyes understand who he is. So my friend, I just want to pray for you now that Jesus will heal your spiritual vision and you'll see Jesus in a fresh new way. And because of seeing him in a fresh new way as your Lord and Savior, that these four questions can be like exercise machines for you and that they can help you grow closer to him every day. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much that you came, you died, and you rose again to literally bring us the temple. You are the temple of God. And if we enter into your presence, we are welcome, we are forgiven, we're given hope for the future and a purpose for our life today. I pray for everyone listening to this that right now they would surrender their life to you and quit trying to build their own temple and instead walk into yours. And I pray that we would let go of our kingdoms and our temples and just enter into yours. And it's a place of rest and purpose and hope and love and mercy and grace and compassion because that's who you are. I pray that for every listener right now. And for the one who doesn't feel worthy to walk in, that's the point. This is the temple only for unworthy people. It's not for the worthy people, it's for the unworthy people. And that's us. Because Lord, our sins are real. We know they are. But we thank you that your sacrifice on the cross more than covers them and takes them away. And we trust in you as our sacrificial lamb for the Passover who rescues us from our Egypt. And it's in Jesus' name I pray.